Good evening, everybody. God is always moving, but sometimes we cannot see. Faith believes either way. Oh, welcome to the Breviary Online uh, here at Westwind. Uh, tonight we are looking at Genesis chapter 50. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, I have just read you the end of a very, very long, a very complicated, and very intense story. Um, so we are going to work our way backwards and start at the beginning. Uh, I'm going to give you an overview of how we got to a moment where a person could say that you meant this for evil, but God turned it into good. Because I don't know about you, I would love for that to be the end of every story uh, that I've ever been a part of. I cannot imagine a better ending to any story than being able to say, huh, that worked out the right way. God did something in the middle of that. So this story is about a guy named Joseph. And a lot of the book of Genesis, at least the second half, there's many chapters uh, devoted to his story. Uh, so in summary, if you did not have time to read all of this, which... As a side note, if you don't have time to read all of this right now during quarantine, then come on, step up your game. You can read the whole Joseph story out of the book of Genesis. Um, but if you didn't have time to read it and just needed the quick short version of this, it would be this. Joseph is a guy who had every possible thing go wrong for him at every possible turn. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. They were going to kill him, but they decided to go easy on him, and instead they sold him into slavery. Uh, Joseph was also then employed in the house of a very rich man whose wife made a pass at Joseph, and when Joseph did the right thing and didn't give in to that, uh, the wife set him up and he was thrown in prison. Uh, while Joseph was in prison, uh, he was promised by one of the other prisoners who was getting out thanks to something Joseph had done for him, uh, he was promised that, hey, I'll put a good word in for you. I'll get you out of here. And then Joseph was completely forgotten in that situation. And then finally, on almost a, a fluke, Joseph gets out of jail, and that's when his story kind of turns around. He works with the pharaoh, the, the, the king of Egypt, uh, and becomes a high-ranking official uh, at a time when... Um, Actually, a time that was not that much different than what we're facing now. It was a, a global crisis of famine uh, that was kind of consuming everyone and putting people at risk and at danger, and people were dying because of it. And Joseph gets put in this position where he's able to uh, help. And, and the big twist in the story is that Joseph isn't only able to organize and set up systems and put things in place for the Egyptians. He's able to do it for all of the other countries, uh, which includes the place where he came from, which includes his own brother who have to come back to him, not even knowing that he's still alive, and ask for food. And there's this big kind of, you know, climax of the story uh, where Joseph reveals himself to his, to his brothers. I, I always imagine that he's, you know, pulling off a mask, but I don't think that's what happened. But he, but he just says to them, it's me. And, and right away they think to themselves, oh my gosh, we're dead. Like, we did a bad thing to this guy, and now he's the second most powerful person in the world at this point. And it's after all of that, after that whole story, that Joseph says to his brothers, it's all right, because what you meant for evil, God turned into good. 
It's interesting. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting perspective that, Je, that Joseph was able to carry throughout this story. And, and whenever I read this story, I think of all the opportunities that Joseph would have had to allow his situation to become his story, right? Joseph at any moment could have said, you know, you want to know who I am? I'm the guy that got betrayed by his brothers. You want to know who I am? I, I'm the guy that got, that got just um, messed with by this crazy woman who, who then did something lied, lied about me. I'm the guy who was lied about. I'm the guy who was misrepresented, misunderstood. Joseph could have said if he wanted to, hey, I'm, I'm the guy that went to prison. <laughs> I'm the guy that went to prison when I shouldn't have. I'm the guy that was forgotten. I, I, I don't know about you, but I've, <laughs> I've felt some of those things. I felt misunderstood. I felt betrayed. I felt set off to the side sometimes. And it's, it's just so easy for that stuff to become our story, to become the headline of the whole thing. And, and, and I can look at seasons of my life, and I'm probably not the only one, but I can look at seasons of my life where I've gone, man, my, my story has, has become everything. Like, like, like it's, it's shaped everything about me. Like whatever's going on right now has been shaped by the situation. My situation has just, is, is my story. And I live in that. But, but, but man, God has more for us than that. God has more for us than just living from situation to situation to situation. Uh, he wants to give us victory in those things because he's working and he's moving on our behalf. And, and what the story of Joseph really tells us is it tells us that our situations do not actually give us enough of a picture for us to be able to determine whether or not God is moving, for us to be able to determine whether or not he's finished with us, for us to be able to determine if a failure is fatal or even if a success is going to be significant enough to take us all the way through. We just don't have enough information, which I think is why the scripture calls us repeatedly over and over again to live with faith. Because what faith really says in a situation like this is, is, is it says, I don't have the whole story, but I'm going to trust that God is doing what he says he's going to do. I'm going to trust when I go to scripture and when I read stories like the story of Joseph, I'm going to trust that what God did for Joseph is also what God is doing for me. I'm going to believe those things. And, and, and I think that if we do that, and if we do that long enough with patience, and if, with faithfulness, that eventually we find moments in our lives where, like Joseph, we can step back and go, huh, that felt evil in the moment. The situation felt evil, but the story was good. Let me say that again. The situation felt evil, but the story was good because the story belongs to God. So wherever you are today, whatever you find yourself in, just know that your story is not defined by your situation. God writes your story. We participate through faith, through patience, and through great hope in believing that God will do what he says he'll do. And I take and I 
take and I take to fill up this gap, this incomplete space where maybe grace will find me. This is my son Jacob's baptism water. Um, when he got baptized at Westwinds Church, we invited all the families of the baptismal candidates to bring a little vial of water 
um, that we supplied, or bring a little vial that we supplied, and we had stained the inside of it with ink. Um, and the families dipped their vial into the baptismal tank after Jake was baptized, and the water turned red, symbolic of um, the sacrificial death of Jesus. And my son has kept this in his bedroom ever since, and I, and I love it. I love this constant reminder of his baptism, and I love this, this sense of heritage um, in our family. And my father baptized me when I was 12, and I baptized my son when he was 12. And when I was baptizing my son, I felt the presence of my father. I felt this holy continuity from father to son and from generation to generation. And I've been praying for my future grandson ever since. Uh, and maybe I will have many, and maybe they will only be granddaughters. I'll be equally as thrilled. I just am caught up in this sanctified fantasy about our family being given to God over and over and over again. And every time I come into my son's room and I see his baptismal water on the shelf, I remember my baptism. I remember having given my life to Jesus Christ. And I remember him giving his life to Jesus and my daughter giving her life to Jesus and my wife giving her life to Jesus. I remember the faithfulness of God. Remembering your baptism is core practice for Christians. Not just a ritual, not just remembering that once upon a time we went under the water, not just remembering that once upon a time we enacted or reenacted the burial and resurrection of Jesus, but remembering that, that we have been claimed and we have been washed, we are owned, that we belong, um, and that we're connected as the body of Christ. So today I invite you to remember your baptism. And it's common for baptismal candidates to be asked a series of questions. So I'd, I'd like to pose those questions to you today. Do you confess the crimes of your heart and the sin that lives within you and renounce them? Do you commit to giving yourself wholly to the Lord Jesus, to his way, to his church? into his promised future? And will you covenant with us, your church family, to always keep Christ at the center of your heart and your home, your dreams and your ambitions until he returns? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we remind you, that you rise now again to walk in new life. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. It looked like evil, but God was far from finished. It felt like the end, but God was up to something. We refused to lose our hope. Grace and peace. Ah.